morning, Rock family. Oh, we got to try. That was horrible. Good morning, Rock family. It is really good to see you this morning. Uh, so there are a few of our, our, our men that are still up at uh, Miracle Camp for Man Camp right now. Right now. We had a really great uh, weekend. Uh, pa- uh, Nate Hamlin, one of the executive directors of the uh, Fellowship for Evangelical Searches, the uh, FEC that we're a part of, uh, he spoke on the shame that men carry. It was a really, really powerful weekend. Uh, last night we had our, our, our last breakout session and it was, it was awesome to see 18 guys from The Rock just up there fellowshipping, able to cut up, able to laugh. But then when we got down to it, that last breakout session, really, I think the Holy Spirit was moving and getting us in a place that we can see God do some amazing things with the men of our church. And so uh, we're talking about, uh, and some one of the things that I've already been announcing is that we want to meet every every second and fourth Saturday for, for breakfast. Uh, we'll do one up in Pioneer and one here in West Unity for the guys to get together at 8.30 and just to pray and to plan and prepare for what God is going to do in our church. And so, um, you know, I want you to pray. Uh, ladies, pray, pray for your, pray for the men of this church. You know, uh, we have we have to start taking the, the role that we're supposed to have in being the spiritual leaders. You know, statistically, uh, there are more women in church than there are men because men decide that it's more important to, to earn the bacon instead of realizing where the bacon comes from. And so, you know, we have to, we have to make that change. And so God's been doing something. And I, know, and I know he's doing something. I know he's working. And I know Satan hates it. Uh, and one of the reasons how I know Satan hates it is on the way back, I'm, I'm rejoicing what God is doing. And I got in a horrible car accident last night on the way back. Um, no other cars, just me. And I know West Short and Jim Hicks right now are at camp. And they're saying, I told you that Puerto Rican can't drive in the snow. I, I know that is, that is happening right now. They're, yeah, and then Tony, yeah, yeah, I know, Tony's, yeah. Yet, all right. Uh, uh, so we've, uh, yeah. So I mean, it was my, my. I think, I think, I, I may have totaled the Subaru. I'm not sure. I'm in a lot of pain. I'm achy this morning. I thought I was a goner, but by God's grace, I got the car back on the road into a safe spot. So, um, so if I, if you hear me groan while I preach this morning, um, it may be the Spirit giving utterance, or it may just be that I'm in a lot of pain. Uh, but uh, I'm glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we're here uh, in the middle of our series. I, we're kind of winding down, going into the second half of our series on signs. And we're, we're, we're taking this series all the way up through, through Easter. And we're talking about the signs that Jesus performed, the miracles that Jesus performed in the book of John to show who exactly he was. And so realize, remember what we talked about when we, when we were talking about these four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three, we described them as synoptic gospels. They give a synopsis of, of the life and times of Jesus Christ. If you were in Bible college and you were taking a class on the life of Christ, most of the commentary would come from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John, however, is, is a gospel account. It's the fourth gospel. But the gospel of John is completely different in the fact that John doesn't focus so much on the birth of Jesus or him, you know, going to the temple for the first time or things like that. What, what John focuses in on is, is on the miracles, on the signs, on the wonders that Jesus Christ, the healings, the things that Jesus Christ performed, because the point of John's gospel is to show Jesus Christ as being God, as being divine 
divine, that he was more than just a good teacher. He was more than just a rabbi or a friend or a prophet he, or even a king that they were expecting. He was the Messiah that came not only to, to tell us about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, but he was born to die for our sins. And so he was showing them throughout this life, this is what, this is what a Christ follower lives like. This is what the people of God are supposed to do. And the only way for us to be able to live this life that he taught us to live was for him to die for our sins. Because by ourselves, there is no way that you and I can live the Christian life. Did you, do you know that? There's no way that you can follow the precepts of the word of God without having Jesus Christ as your savior. I mean, you could try it. You could fake it. You could say that, yeah, I know all 66 books and, and, I, you know, and, I, and, I, and I follow it to the T. There's no sin in me. And you just lied right then because you lied. You know, I mean, think about it. There, there is nothing that you can do if you look at the pages of this book and go, I have not offended any of it at all. The Bible says if we offend one point of the word of God, we've offended the whole thing. So if we, that, that little white lie, that little cookie that you took from the little cookie jar, that, that ended everything. You are now, just like the rest of us, a sinner. And so for us to, be, to, to live this abundant life that Jesus Christ spoke about, you and I need need to have Jesus as our Savior. You and I need to have forgiveness of sins. You and I need to be that new creation. You and I need to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because we cannot please God in our flesh. We just can't. The only thing the flesh does is leads us down a path, and that path usually leads uh, for us in the destruction of our physical life, but definitely our spiritual life. The life that we lead without Christ, not having Jesus Christ, leads to us dying in hell. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came not only to show us the way, but to what we're going to talk about today is the fact that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And what does that mean? Because it, it, sound, it sounds very lofty. It sounds very, very heavenly. It sounds, definitely sounds Christianese, right? That Jesus is the light of the world. But what does that mean? So we're going to read the verse where Jesus actually calls himself the light of the world. This is not a title that, that, that a commentator gave him. This is not a title that a scholar gave or even that his disciples gave him. The, 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 the characteristic of Jesus being the light of the world is a direct quote from Jesus himself. So let's, let's all stand. We're going to read John chapter 8, and then we're going to go to John chapter 9. We're going to read one verse in John chapter 8, verse 12, and then we're going to go into chapter 9. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. All right, so I want you to remember that as we read through John chapter 9. All right, so let's go to John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, and as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the, from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to be sitting begging? And some said, He is the one. Others were saying, No, but he looks like him. And he kept saying, I am the one. So they asked him, Then how are your eyes open? Then he said, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, Go to Siloam and watch. And so I went and watched, and I received my sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened the eyes was the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes and he told them, I washed and I can see. Now some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division amongst them. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him? And since he opened your eyes and the man said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received his sight until they summoned the parents of the one who'd received his sight. And they asked him, is this your son, the one you say that was born blind? How then does he now see? We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents said, but we don't know how, his eyes, how he sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why the parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who'd been born blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. And they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? And they ridiculed him. You're the man's disciples, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing the man told them. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to them. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man weren't from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. You were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you're trying to teach us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him, the man out, and when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe? Jesus answered, You've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. I believe, Lord. He said and worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order to the, for that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. My friend, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for standing. You can be seated. So this is a, a, a pretty well-known account. Um, and, and, and statistically, this, this, is, this is interesting. So like the, where, where are the Sutton boys at? Where, is Big Ed, Big Ed still in Florida, right? So make sure he hears this too. This account is probably 30% of every Southern gospel song that's ever written. 
like a lot. There's a lot of them. The Greater Vision wrote one. Um, I, I know of a few accounts of songs about the blind man now singing, and, and they're all they're all great. I, I love all of them. But this is, I mean, it's a very popular account because it. Re, I mean, it real. Think about just the simplicity of this message that you were blind and now you can see. And any of us who know Jesus know this to be true, right? You may not have. You may have understood religion. You may have gotten the idea of what it means to be like church folk, but if you really know Jesus, you understand the difference between blind, being blind and having sight, right? How all of a sudden life is different now. There's, there's just this new appreciation for, who, for who, what, who God is and what he did for us. It's just, it's just different when you can see. And this account shows us the difference between what Jesus says, darkness and light. And so in John chapter 8, he says that he is the light of the world. So let's go back to John chapter 8, uh, verse 12 real quick. And I want to break down what he says because this goes into, because remember, he'll repeat it in John chapter 9 that he is the light of the world. Here's what Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And this is what he says, what, why it's important, why it's significant that Jesus is the light of the world. He says, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He makes it clear that his purpose to being the light of the world is more than just some fancy saying or some fancy title or something that we put on a bumper sticker on a t-shirt or something that we say like a mantra that Jesus is the light and so therefore it's more, you know, it's just a beautiful light that he is and he is beautiful and he is wonderful but Jesus being the light of the world is a very functional thing. He says the reason why he's the light is so that you and I don't have to walk in darkness. He is the light so that you and I don't have to walk the way we used to walk. There is a significant change that happens when someone turns the lights on, amen? And for us spiritually, when Jesus saved us, the lights were turned on. And he says, not only were the lights turned on, we don't have to walk the way we used to walk. But now we can have the light. And then he says it at the end, the light of life. That it's more than just some temporary fix. It's more than just something to help us see a little bit better in the dark. No, he says when someone comes to Jesus, we don't have to be in darkness. We now can walk in light. And so my question as we get into John chapter 9 is this. Is Jesus the light of the world in your life? Are you walking in just a little bit less darkness before since you met Jesus? Or are you walking in a, in a contrast? Are you walking in the light of life? Because, see, some of us, we, we take the light that Jesus has, this, this light of the world, his status of, of giving us the light of life, and we use it in such a, a feeble way that when things get bad enough, then what do we do? We use a little bit of that light just to make it a little bit better. But Jesus made it clear he came not for us just to have less darkness. He came to shift us from darkness to what? Light. So my question is, do you really walk in light or is it just a little less dark than it was before? So let's go to John chapter 9 and let's see how, how, this, how this breaks out. So verse 1, as Jesus was passing by and he was with his disciples, he saw a man that was born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, who sinned, this man 
or his parents that he was born blind. So let's, I want to break this down because there's a few things that I want you to see before we get into the crux of, of what actually happened here. The first thing is this. You notice how when, when Jesus performs miracles, when he performs uh, the, the, these signs, a lot, of the, a lot of the times you saw people come to Jesus, but there are specific times that Jesus goes to people. And you're going to see why he does this. So he walks by, and not only that, we know that this man was blind from when? Since he was born, right? So he was born with this disability. And his disciples, what did they ask? Who sinned? His parents? This man? Who sinned that he was born blind? Now remember, he was blind from birth. What kind of sin could a baby commit that he would be born because of something that he did? And then so his parents, the guys, I don't even know if the disciples know who these parents are, but do you see how judgmental the disciples are? They, I mean, they've seen Jesus heal people, correct? They've seen Jesus do amazing things. And the question was, Jesus, will you heal him? Will you make him better? Show your glory, Jesus. Come on, I know you can heal him. This is going to be awesome. Everybody will see he'll be healed from, and he was blind from birth. This, this will be a great testimony of who you are. No, that's not what they said. They say, hey, who sinned? You see, one of the problems about when we're so, when we are Jesus adjacent, instead of being Christ followers, when we're just Jesus adjacent, when things are just a little less dark, we become religious and judgmental. We don't completely turn over to, and, and become part of the light. And these disciples were so close to Jesus and seeing what Jesus did, they got this elitism in them that all of a sudden they want to know who sinned instead of wondering whether, hey, Jesus, can you heal him? They were self-centered and judgmental by the time John chapter 9 comes out. And one of the things I want to ask us as a church is, are we in the light or are we just living in a little less darkness? Because when you live in a little less darkness, have we become judgmental to the point that if anybody has any kind of issue in church, if something happens, do we immediately start asking, well, I wonder who did what? Somebody's having a rough go at it, and, and especially those who, uh, of us who think that maybe we have our, our act together more than others, we get upset at people who don't have their act together, and immediately we start judging them, saying, well, why can't they get their act together? Why can't they do this? And instead of wondering how we can serve and help, what do we do? We judge. And we say, why? Well, who sinned in this scenario? So let's, read, let's continue to read. And so Jesus... The gracious Savior that he is doesn't scold them for their judgment. He just begins teaching them what the truth is. Sometimes the best way for you and I to get out of this religious judgmental zone is to just listen to what Jesus says. The best thing that we can do to help us all grow and get out of this religious funk is just to listen to Jesus. And Jesus tells them, neither this man nor his parents sinned. All right, so that's not what happened here. And the thing is, it looks like if you look at, at history books and you read anything about this time frame, this was how it was. If someone got sick, if someone got hurt, if somebody was born disabled, the first thoughts within Jewish culture was who messed up. That's how it was. It was, it was a, a culturally judgmental error that if something, if you were not perfect on, on the way out, 
that something bad happened, that you either you messed up or someone else messed up. That's, that's how, that, this was a normal phrase for them to use. This was a normal question. And Jesus tells them, neither this man nor his parents sinned. And here's the thing. Usually when, when you would ask your neighbor, you didn't have the son of God next to you, asking, letting you know that it wasn't because of sin on this man's part or his parents' part. He lets them know, no, it was either. That's a different answer than they usually would have gotten. The answer would have usually been, oh, I'm not sure. Well, I did remember seeing mom and dad when they were young. They did this. And yeah, that man, when he was a baby, but when he was five years old, he didn't listen to his parents. There was more judgment even in the historical account as to why somebody had this issue. And Jesus just says, no, it wasn't them. It wasn't the kid. It wasn't the parents. This guy who's been blind since birth, he, it, this is just why. And this is what he says. This one man, I want you to get this. This one man was born blind so that one day what could happen? Jesus could show who he is and that the works of God might be displayed. Do you realize that sometimes disabilities are the ways that God uses to show himself real? Do you realize that our kids with special needs are caused for, are, were born for a purpose? And sometimes it's not for healing. Sometimes it's to show that God can use whatever he made because whatever God made ain't junk. God doesn't make junk. The way God made you is the way he wanted to make you. With all your flaws and all your warts, God ordained you to be exactly the way he made you so that his works can be displayed. Don't look in the mirror and say you're not worth it. Don't think that your life isn't worth living because Jesus made you that way so that one day he can show who he is to you and to others. This man was born blind just so I can display my works. And this is what he said. This is, this is why. Jesus says, I do the works that, of the one that sent me the works of the Father, I do them during the day so that people can see it because when night comes, no one can work. And as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So he's going bigger than just talking about 24-hour periods. He's not just talking about, hey, my ministry is going to be from 9 to 5 because it gets dark, right? This is what he's saying. As long as I am here in this world, there is light. There was darkness before I got here. There is light right now. And when I leave, there is going to be some darkness for a time again. And so while I am here, I do the work of my Father because I am showing you what the light is all about. And what is the light of the world all about? Showing the glory of God through people. He uses people. Jesus' title of being the light of the world isn't just some lofty goal. It is very functional. Jesus' light causes people to be able to display the works of God. And if you and I live in the light, our, our privilege is to display the works of God in front of other people. So the way that we live, the, the, what we say, what we speak, what we do, how we, how we raise our family, how, how we act at work, all of these things display God's work if we allow him to. Are we living in the light that Jesus says that he is? 
Let's continue to read. So after he said these things, okay, he, he, he schools his disciples on the fact that no, no, it's not because of his mom and dad didn't sin, he didn't sin. The reason, why, the reason why God allowed this disability to be there is for me to be able to show my glory, okay? And so he says, so now this is how he does it. He does something very, very different this time. He spits on the ground, he makes some mud with his spit, and then he spreads the mud on this guy's eyes, right? Okay, this is not typical of, of Jesus, of what we've seen. But one of the things I want to share with you is that Jesus not only speaks miracles, Jesus sometimes uses his creation to perform his works. You know that, right? That's why we don't, we don't just, we don't distrust science because the Bible is chock full of science and God created science, right? The reason why some of us are still like kicking right now is because God allowed really, really smart men in an R&D department to come up with some pill that keeps you alive. God uses his creation. God uses the creativity of, of human beings. God uses all of these things in order to bring his glory. And sometimes God's going to use mud to do it. Now I'm thinking about this, this blind man for a second. The, the, the thing is, disabilities were, were so rejected in, 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 this, in, this Bible, in, in these Bible times, around the times and lives of Jesus and even before that, that especially for culture, unless your family was like loaded and they were able to keep you away or keep you like away from everybody, if you were disabled, you were usually outcast. Especially if the needs that you had outweighed whatever the parents thought the needs were for the rest of the family, they would kick these kids out and they would be beggars on the street. So remember, let's not, let's not forget the fact that this man wasn't just blind, he was also in poverty. He was, he was a beggar. And so I, I wonder, and it's not in scripture, but I wonder like when the mud went on his eyes, did he just think, oh, here goes somebody else bullying me again. Here goes somebody else making fun of me. Again with the mud in the face? Come on, get a new one. You know, like, what did this man go through on a daily basis that when, when, when some, somebody puts mud on his eyes? And so then verse 7, here's what Jesus, he gives him instructions. Jesus doesn't just use his creation. He also tells us how it's supposed to be used. He says, go, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and then when you get there, See what happened. So he left. So, he, so there's, remember, we've always seen this in the miracles that Jesus performs, that there's always a, um, a, a sense of faith that has to come from the recipient, right? Okay. So what was the step of faith for this, for this man? What did he have to do? Go and wash, right? Okay. A very simple, a very, very mundane task. But, you know, but not only that, I love how there's the grace of God in this too. You have mud on your face. Go wash, Right? Like, what if he would have said, no, I'm not going to go wash? Well, then you just have mud in your face. You know what I'm saying? Like, go wash. So he goes and washes. And he came back what? Seeing. I, I, love, I love John's gospel, but sometimes I wish he would put some exclamation points or like, you know, some emojis like, mind blown. Like, it's just like a sentence. Like, you know, he left, he washed, he came back seeing. Oh, like, you know, it should be like some underline, maybe some bold italic something, maybe a different font. I don't know, but it's just like, it's just part of the sentence. So he left, he washed, and he came back seeing. 
mean, think about the, the miracle happens at the end of verse 7. He, he now sees. Remember, he was blind since birth and now he can see. Now let's look at verse 8. His neighbors and those who'd seen him before as a beggar, you know, and, and one, the, the, man, the man sees. Okay, he didn't see before. Okay, imagine, okay, right now. And this is not beyond the realm of God. Some of us, one, one of us in here has, has chronic back pain. And it's really bad. And it's just a chore to come to church. And all of a sudden, you, you just like, I mean, you, you use the seat in front of you. And you just stand up to worship like, man, man, this really hurts. And all of a sudden, you're healed. Right? And people have seen you like, you know, hobble out of church every week. And then this week, you're like, just everything's fine. You leave. Wouldn't you think us at the Rock would be like, yo, what happened to your back? You're hop, skipping, and jumping. Some of us judgmental would be like, ah, he's been lying the whole time. We knew it, you know? But, but most of us would have been like, oh, my, yay, what happened, right? We would ask the recipient, how do you feel better? But not these people. The first thing they did, so they must have been like, you know, normal, typical American Christians, they spoke behind his back. And what did they say? Hey, uh, wasn't that the guy that was begging before? Nah, 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 that can't be. He just, he just looks like him. No, 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 that, that, that's him. And the guy hears them talking about him, and he goes, no, yeah, that's me. So instead of seeing how he was doing, we see not just the disciples, but the people in this name. They, 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 they just talked about people instead of going to people. And then he goes, no, no, it's me. Yeah, I, it's me. So let's keep reading. And so they asked him. And now they finally get to the question, how, like, you know, you, maybe you're like, wow, you can see that's awesome. That's wonderful. Hey, let, let, let's show you some flowers. You've never seen those before. Hey, let's show you some vibrant colors. Hey, let me show This is what we look like, by the way. You know, like none of that. What was it? How'd that happen? How are your eyes opened? It's, it's a valid question, but you would think there'd be some more empathy beforehand. Like, man, I'm so glad you can see. Nah, I don't care. That's what I know. How did it happen? And he answered, the man called Jesus, made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went, I washed. Again, just very calm. Very. I went, I washed, I received my sight. Oh. I mean, chapter's done, right? Oh, it makes sense. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you, no, this is, you. what? Jesus did, huh? Again, Whenever the name Jesus is, is even mentioned among some of this crowd, they get upset. And now, like, you know, what did he do? Speak it? Now you, now you can see. What did he do? Go like this, like the Jedi? No, what did he do? No, he told me to get mud, put it on there, and I washed it. And I see he's like, all right. It's different. So now let's look at verse 12. Where is he? They asked. He goes, I don't know. Verse 13. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. Now, you remember, Jesus sometimes did this. He would heal people, and he, he would say, hey, don't say anything yet. Or sometimes he would just leave. Why? Because remember how Jesus is in control of time and space, right? Jesus understands he's doing the will of the Father. He told his mom, what did he say? It's not my time yet, remember? So this calendar of when Jesus will reveal himself and when he will reveal himself is up to Jesus, right? The same thing is true in your life. When Jesus wants to reveal himself in you, he'll tell you when. It's not up to you to decide, God, I need you to do this now. Remember, we live in God's world, not the other way, right? So he's away, and what do they do? They bring the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees, right? Not to the doctors, not home, not, not maybe out to lunch, you know? I mean, a celebration party. Hey, you can see now, right? I mean, not even a church potluck, guys, right? I mean, 
for The Rock to say not a church potluck should really like hurt some of us, right? Because we know how to eat here, right? So they, they bring him to the Pharisees. And now, now think about why did they bring him to the Pharisees? This is interesting. The intent isn't to bring glory to God to say, hey, look, this guy can see now. What is now the spin of why they bring him to the Pharisees? Because the day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. So again, we've seen this before, right? We've seen Jesus tell a lame man to walk, and what were the Pharisees more concerned about? Why are you doing things on the Sabbath? Why are you doing things on our religious day where you're not supposed to be doing things? You're not supposed to be healing people. But see, it's funny because now it's like they think they got him because instead of him just like, you know, saying you're healed, now he used actual earthly elements so they can say, hey, you actually did work. You did work. And so this is the problem. You did work. So forget, the guy can see whatever. You used mud on the Sabbath. Like that was, that was the, 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 the scope of, of their inquiry with this guy. It was why? Because he used mud. And you know what? Before we get on the Pharisees, just like I told you before, sometimes we do the exact same thing. We are more concerned about what, we, what we're used to doing in this place than what God is actually doing. So you'll see somebody who hasn't been in church for 10 years and they show up and he may have a tattoo somewhere and that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of the day. How, why did he put a tattoo on his face? And we forget the fact that he hasn't been here for 10 years and he's here. We miss the point of what God is doing. Some of us would rather that our kids sat with us in church and not listen to anything and still be that brat than for us to actually be okay if they went some, to some other church where there was nobody that was judgmental and they were growing in their faith. We would be more happy if they were with us. We'd be more, we're, sometimes we're happier when we put on this facade that everybody can see the facade so then we all feel okay than God actually doing something that's different than what we're used to. And this is what hinders growth, not numerical growth, that happens. This is what hinders growth in our life when we're more concerned about things being status quo than it being God doing a work. So you're more concerned about the mud than you are about the fact that the guy can see. I mean, at least try to, you know, market and sell the mud, right? I mean, there's at least four essential oils in that mud. Has to be, right? Has to be. There is Chick-fil-A sauce in that mud. Some, there is something that's in there. But instead of trying to market the mud, they're like, why are you even using the mud? Right? So in verse 15, then the Pharisees asked him again, how did you receive his sight? He said, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I can see. To him, he's so, this, he just, it, it happened. I can see now. And, and I'm wondering inside of his heart, he's like, hey, guys, I can see now. And they're more concerned about the mud. Okay, so let's look at the next verse. So some of the Pharisees said, I, I love the, the division between the Pharisees, okay? So not only are they like evil people, they're evil people who are divided in their evilness, right? Okay, so here's the first one. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath, okay? So forget the eyes, forget the, the blindness being gone. This guy does things on the Sabbath. He can't be from God, right? That's half of the Pharisees. The other ones say this, how can such a sinful man perform such signs? How can a sinner do something good in his life? 
A, Jesus is not a sinner. Jesus is 100% man, 100% God, yet without sin. Tempted in every point like we were, without sin. So they got their theology wrong. But not only that, even if, he, even if it was just was a prophet, like this guy made somebody see, but we're going to talk about what the fact that he shouldn't be doing it at all or on the Sabbath. So the division amongst the Pharisees is, you know, these are two reasons why Jesus shouldn't be doing this, but there's nobody in that room saying, man, I can't believe he can do stuff like this, right? And sometimes that's where you and I get. We, we miss Jesus and we settle for second-rate religiosity. We miss what Jesus is doing and we just argue about the wrong intentions that we have. Our intentions aren't being made right. We just figure out, well, why, why, why does it make sense to us? All right, let's continue to read. Again, they asked the blind man, what, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And so the man, I mean, this is the best at this point. You know, if he's a beggar, he may not have spent a lot of time in the temple. You know, he may not have had any kind of religious background, but at least he knows something's different about this guy. He doesn't say he's a... Like, it's funny that the blind man doesn't go, yeah, I can't believe he healed me on the Sabbath. What a jerk. Like, you know, why would he do that? Like, you put mud on my face and now I can see. What a... I can't believe he did that. I'm sorry, guys. I'll yell at him for, for healing me. No. He goes, he's a prophet. He definitely knows there's something different about this guy, right? He's different than the average Joe. He's at least a prophet, right? Because look what he did for me. All right, let's continue to go. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe this about him. So, all right, so here's where we go. God does something, right? And because we'd rather be stuck in our own mud or stuck in our ways or just more concerned about the, the visual of what it looks like to be churchy, right? We just say, nah, this couldn't have happened. We just now start denying what Jesus is doing and try to explain it away. So the Jews didn't believe this about him so that he was, that he was blind and received his sight until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. And so instead of just taking the guy for his word, they've all seen him on the street corner, like, you know, begging. They've all seen him blind. They've all seen him, you know, not be able to see anything. And all of a sudden they're like, nah, we can't accept this. So let's talk to his parents, Right? This is what happens when you and I accept a second-rate religion instead of really understanding who Jesus is. We want to get other people involved in our mess, right? And so he goes to his parents. Now, they, they're going to side with us, okay? So they asked him, is this your son, the one that... I love how there's like even like this sense of maybe you guys have been lying about it your whole life. Is this your son, the one you say that was born blind? I mean, such a, like, really? How then does he now see? So they're asking him this question. They're asking questions with um, the angle of, of disbelief. And I don't know about you, have you ever been there that you ask questions of God with the angle of disbelief, though? Like, you're not, you're not, you're not really, you're not even caring whether or not God is going to use your current dilemma to change your uh, perspective or to use it for his glory. You just ask questions of God in disbelief and you say, why are you doing this to me? And so this is where they are. They are asking questions, not saying, not trying to prove that this man was healed, but trying to disprove that Jesus is who he says he is. Okay, so you say he was born blind. How does he see? Let's look at verse 20. Here are the parents. Parents of the year, by the way. We know that this our son, that this is our son and that he was born blind. Okay, so they're historical, all right? I mean, we broke a bunch of HIPAA laws asking these questions, but they're like, yeah, he was born blind, right? Yes, he was born blind. 
but we don't know how he now, how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes, all right? And, I mean, so far, it's still pretty plain, because think about it. For how, how would they know they weren't there? But another thing, how come they weren't visiting their son who was a beggar? And how come he was a beggar in the first place, mom and dad? Right? Let's ask the parents who outcasted their son how he can see. They wouldn't know because they didn't care about him anymore. Right? But I love, I love the next line. Talk about throwing somebody under, under the bus and then backing up back over him. Here's what they say. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. We want nothing to do with what's about to happen. I mean, yeah, he's our son, but we don't know. And hey, if there's any kind of punishment, you ask him. This is on him, right? These are like what we would call the, the stellar parents, right? That not only kick their son out, don't know anything about what's going on, but then when it comes down to that, we want nothing to do with this, right? Before, again, before we get so judgmental on these parents, realize we, we also do this. Sometimes we don't, want to get, we don't want to get in the mess. We don't want to get in the dirt. We don't want to put in the work. And so we just kind of like, hey, you know what? This is, this is how we say this in 2022 vernacular. We say this, well, that's just their journey. So, you know, we're just going to pray. And then we even use really spiritual phrases like, you know, you know, we just pray that whatever we taught him as a kid, it'll just come back. That Sunday school lesson will just come back one day, right? And we're not involved. We're completely like, you know, we, we've kind of like shunned the ones in our family who aren't living right or up to our expectations. And instead of leaning in, we completely just, you know, get out of here. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. And I think the guy's doing a great job so far speaking for himself. How about you? Right? Way better than probably we would. All right, let's look at the next verse. His parents, <laughs> I love how, how John, because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says exactly why they said this. It had nothing to do with the fact that he's of age. He's a man. He can speak for himself. No, this is why they did it. They were scared of the Jews since the Jews had already agreed that anybody who confessed him as Messiah would be banned from the synagogue. So the parents were more concerned about staying inside of their religious structure than giving God glory for what they did in the life of their son. Think about that. Let that sit for a second. Sometimes we'd rather just be religiously comfortable than recognize that God is doing something. And we'll deny that he's doing something or we'll just ignore it because we don't want to get banned from what we're used to. And so they said, this wise of age, ask him. They didn't want to be banned. Think about this, someone who did, someone who, who notices and recognizes the Messiah that they're all waiting for, for centuries. They'd rather just, hey, we don't want any trouble with our community. We talked about that a little bit this weekend at, at Man Camp, the fact that sometimes there's, there's the guilt and the, the forgiveness that comes through Jesus, but the thing that we don't deal with is the shame that's left within the community, right? So even though we've, you know, we've been found now not guilty because of the blood of Jesus, there's still the shame that's in everything that we are because people knew who we were and what we went through, right? So shame is something that, that we need to learn how, how, to, how to deal with. And for them, it was more important to make sure that this community structure and how they felt in the community was more important than getting, than understanding what God was doing. 
And, you know, we, we do that sometimes. It's easier just to go, hey, you know what? He's on his own than really to, to lean in and do the hard work. All right, let's continue to read. So a second time, they summoned the man. I, let me ask you a question. If you were blind and now could see, you're probably like looking at a bunch of stuff, right? I mean, you're looking at sunsets. You're looking at gardens. I mean, you're walking down the road. You're saying hi to people. You're figuring out that that, guy, that, 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 that one chick was way uglier than she sounded, right? That, that one guy, you know, oh, man, he's really like 4 foot 11. I thought he was 6 foot tall. Really? And you're looking at all these people, and you have a whole different view of the world because now you can see, right? So I, I just wonder, like the second time they summoned him, what was he doing? He was like, are you serious again? Look at the sunset. This is beautiful. Pick up a ch- I have to go back again? This guy can now see. He has a new outlook on life, and they keep calling him back to, to the synagogue. And so they bring him back. He was blind. Now they tell him this. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. It's just a weird thing to ask somebody. He's like, yeah, I'll give glory to God for sure. I can see. But this guy's a sinner. Verse 25, I don't know whether he's a sinner. I love, oh, man, I love it. And this is like, I mean, I, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not, okay, because I'm not God. Obviously, he probably is, but I'm not, right? But you're asking me, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. But one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I can see, right? I mean, he just very practically, there was, I was, I was over here and now I'm over here. This morning I was begging on the ground. I couldn't see anything. Now I see all your ugly mugs. Like, I mean, like life is different now. That's all I know. And sometimes you and I have to rest in the fact that we will not have answers for everything. But I'm telling you, when God works and we know it, we declare that God has done something. I don't know all the theological ramifications. Somebody, one, one scholar wrote down that when you get saved, like 170 things happen to you. Yeah, great, sure. All I know is that I was on my way to hell, now I'm on my way to heaven. All I know is that I had no direction in my life, now I have direction. All I know is that I had guilt and shame and all those things, and now I know who I am in Jesus. That's all I know. I don't know how it all works. I mean, the sovereignty of God, I try, I try to read enough on, on the word of God and trust him to figure out. I don't know how all that works. I don't understand everything about, about predestination and election. I mean, I try I study. I can give you a good defense of it. I don't know all of the stuff. All I know is I used to doubt whether I knew Jesus for a long time. I realized that he saved me. I didn't save myself, and all that doubt went away. All I know is that I was blind. Now I can see. That's all, that's all I, sometimes we need to know. Let's look at verse 26. Then they asked him, what did he do to you that he opened your eyes? And I love this. It's like they, like they, they weren't listening. You know, you know, you ever met people who are like, have like selective amnesia or like selective deafness? Like, like, like they ask you a question, but they don't really want to know the answer, right? They're like, hey, how you doing? They're not listening to you at all, Right? You can tell him 12 times. Becky accuses me of this. I, I don't think it's true. But I'm now realizing I forgot what she told me yesterday. And we may or may not have food for lunch now. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. So verse 27, I love it. I already told you. Man, y'all deaf? 
I was blind. Maybe y'all are deaf. Maybe that's, not, maybe that's what it is. Maybe y'all are a little disabled on this too. Maybe, y'all get, maybe you guys have a mental issue. I don't know. And you didn't listen to me. You didn't hear what I said. So do you want to hear it again? I love this. He's like, hey, y'all didn't hear me. You want me to say it again? And then he gets, oh. See, I don't know. I mean, to me, because I have a default of sarcasm, I only can read this as being sarcastic. He goes, you don't want to become his disciples too, do you? Right? Y'all asking a lot of questions for somebody y'all don't like. Right? This guy keeps you up day and night. Y'all love him like we do? Like, you know, like, it's like, really? Do, do, do you want to know? Why do you want to know? Do you want to follow him? And I'm sure it cuts some of them like, we don't follow this guy. So stop asking questions about him then, right? Why, do you, why, why does Jesus take up so much headspace if you don't care about who he is? And some of us are there. We've been trying this Christianity thing. We've been hanging around church people. We're still not convinced that it's real. Or maybe we did, and maybe we're kind of like de-church right now. But Jesus still takes up a lot of headspace, and I hope he always does because he loves you and he wants to save you. And if you've already been saved by Jesus and you've walked away, he's waiting for you to come back. I pray that headspace doesn't go anywhere else. I pray he's always in your head. Verse 28. And they ridiculed him. You're that man's disciples, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. Oh, Sorry, you're Moses' disciples, right? Moses' disciples, right? Moses has been dead for like a long time. Like they've never heard from Moses, right? Not only that, Moses was also waiting for his Messiah too. Moses also pointed to Jesus and when he wrote the Pentateuch. They ridiculed him. You know, we don't know. He says, this is an amazing thing the man told him. I love, now, now he just, I mean, he just gets him now. That's crazy. You guys are fowls of Moses. That's awesome. But, you know, you don't know where he's from. Yet he opened my eyes, but you're calling him a sinner. You're saying all these things, but you don't know where he's from. You don't know where he's at, but he opened my eyes. Moses didn't open my eyes. The law of Moses just condemned me further. But Jesus opened my eyes. So, hey, you can follow Moses. I'm going to go with the guy who opened my eyes. Because now that my eyes are open, I can read the law of Moses. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. So all of a sudden it's like, man, how would, if this man is not from God, why would God allow him to heal me? He's trying to think, like, you know, you guys say you're so smart, but man, just, just break it down at a really uh, just elementary level. If he's not from God, why, do I, why can I see now? And if he's not from God, if he's not God-fearing and he's not doing God's will, you know, how does, how does God even listen to him? Remember what Jesus said, I've come that this man is going to be healed now in order for me to show the works of him that sent me. I do my work during the day. And as long as I'm here, there's not night because I'm the light of the world. And so this guy is reminiscing on what Jesus says. He's recalling it. And he's saying this, hey, he came to do the will of God. And if he's not from God, he wouldn't be able to do God's will. That's logical. So what do they say to him? And he continued, throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. And if you look it up, it's, it's, what he's saying is it's pretty accurate. There's been a lot of healing. There's a lot of miracles that God performs. But this is one of the few, if not the first and only time that someone was allowed to, be, to, to see from being blind. So this was not just a, 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 a healing of a disability. This was pretty unique. 
And remember, the signs that Jesus performed, especially the ones that the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, gave to John to write down, they were significant in how they were accomplished, right? And this one is unique in the fact that no, it's never, it, it doesn't really happen. We've heard of lameness, but someone being able to see when they were born blind, we haven't heard about that before. And if this man isn't from God, he wouldn't be able to do what? Anything, right? And this is great because this is exactly the contrast of what Jesus says. Jesus says without him, we can't do anything, right? And he's saying if he's not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. And because Jesus can do everything, guess where he's from? And guess who he is? It's logical. And so I love their answer. You were born entirely of sin. Right? It's so like, it's so like, like, like just immature. And you're trying to teach us? Ha, ha. Man, what he said was true, but you'll get this guy out of here. Right? Like, it's like going in their head. They're like, yeah, he, may, he makes sense. Get him out of here. We can't, have, we can't have anybody in church who makes sense. Amen? Right? How, how dare you bring logic into this discussion? Right? And so what do they do? They threw him out. They're like, nah, man, we, we can't hear from you anymore. So think about this. Remember how we talked about you can either be living in the light or you can be what we describe as being Jesus adjacent, right? That you're close to Jesus, but you're not full, you know, you, you really don't get it. The, the Pharisees, they actually were part of sometimes the contingent of people that were walking with Jesus. Remember how they say how Jesus had a crowd following him and they would follow him? Basically, that means they weren't like paparazzi. They were like just like this. They, they were more like roadies, right? And they would follow him. Part of this, of this group of people were Pharisees because they, they were trying to like hear, like, you know, to trip Jesus up while he was talking, right? So they were always with him. And so um, Jesus heard that they throw the man out and so he finds him. So Jesus again goes private. Now, I love this about our Savior. Even though Jesus says that, you know, if God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, that phrase, for God so loves the world, it's, it's always matched by the fact that Jesus is very individual in what he does, right? Jesus saved you. I want you never to forget that. Jesus moved through history to save you as an individual, not just to save a class or a group or that. It wasn't like one day the preacher like, you know, preached and it was like, you know, just this radio signal going out to everybody and anybody had signal answered the call. No, Jesus moved to find you where you individually are to save you. You. He loves you. And when he did that, he found this man individually and he goes, do you believe in the son of man? Now remember, he doesn't get it all. Remember, he called Jesus a prophet. He doesn't get all this yet. You don't learn a lot when you're on, I mean, you learn, you learn a lot of street uh, things when you're on the street, but you don't learn a lot about what's going on in, in religion. And so he says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? All right, so he's saying, hey, I want to know. And Jesus said, you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. And this is the moment right here where everything clicks, okay? I believe, Lord. And, and how do we know that this belief was genuine? What did he do right after? He worships him, right? This wasn't a get out of hell free card, right? This wasn't like just fire insurance. This man really understood who Jesus was and everything clicked at that moment. And so my, my prayer this morning is that something finally clicks for you that still don't know Jesus, that maybe everything has been coming together. And, and, and I'm praying right now the Holy Spirit just makes it click for you that you need Jesus to be your Savior. That the light of the world has come to this auditorium right now to reach you. 
And, he want, and Jesus loves you so much that he wants to save you right now as you hear the word of God being preached. The man goes, I believe, Lord, and he worshiped him. How do we know that our faith is genuine? How do we know that we're finally to start starting seeing victory when we start worshiping instead of worrying, when we start worshiping instead of complaining, when we start worshiping instead of being judgmental, when we worship the one who, who, who saved us from our sins instead of condemning people who also need Jesus? This is how we know. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, and so this is what it means to be the light of the world. I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. He says this right in front of the Pharisees. He says, here's the point of being the light of the world. There are a bunch of people who are blind spiritually that don't know the truth about who Jesus is. And Jesus came to tell him who he is. And who is Jesus? He's the son of God. He's God the son. And God the son came down to earth, lived uh, 100% man, 100% God, born of a virgin, lived 33 and a half years, tempted in every point of sin like we were, but never sinned once. So that one day he would allow himself to be tortured and beaten and hung on a cross to die for our sins. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And the things that we've thought, the things that we've said, the things that we've done that have displeased God, we have been separated from God. And the Bible says that we are destined to spend eternity away from God, but God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for our sins. And when Jesus died on that cross, there was a moment where, where God literally turned his back on Jesus, the son, and Jesus cries out, my, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, Jesus became sin for me and you. All the things that we've done, all the things that we will do was, was hung on him on that cross and he died for our sins. And right before he died, he yelled out, it is finished. And that's, he, he said, hey, my payment, my death is enough to pay the price for your sin. And then three days later, he rose again from the grave, showing not only did he have the power to forgive us of our sins by dying and paying the price, we know that it worked because three days later, he rose again from the grave. And you can't find a tombstone for Jesus. You know that, right? You can't find a grave for Jesus. You can find a grave for Buddha. There's a, there's a big grave for Muhammad at Mecca. There's all these different religious leaders you can find where they're buried. You can't find a tomb with Jesus because he's not in a tomb. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he wants to save you right now. So when Jesus says, I've come so people who are blind can now see, he's talking about us that need Jesus or thus, us, those of us that need to come back into a fellowship with Jesus because we've left that fellowship. But for some of us, we think we see so well now because we're so religious. He says they're going to even become more blind. And so the Pharisees who were there, they asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? So that's a question for you. Is your, is your tradition, is your custom, is your religion, is your, you know, uh, Christianity at the level that it's just because this is the way we've always done it? Maybe you need Jesus today. Maybe you have Jesus, but you forgot that Jesus wants you to have a vibrant personal relationship with him over you trying to keep everything status quo in the church that you go to. But for some of us, we, we know we need Jesus for the first time or the thousandth time and I'm going to ask you now as we bow our heads and close our eyes, let, let's talk to Jesus. Mm -hmm.